we did a, a tweet about the uh, Cyclones and the uh, Hawkeyes college football. And, and it was one of the teams lost. And so the team, we had it like it was like an image of a team getting pushed down the stairs. And it like spread on Reddit and spread all over. And people were absolutely livid. I mean, they were taking photos of themselves, cutting up their come and go and rewards card and t- tweeting it and calling for boycotts. And it was like this huge furor. And, and we had like emergency meeting and people were, who had never, I mean, my, who had like, I had like, it reached like the far reaches of the internet in Iowa. And it was like a real, and anyway, the news covered it. I, I it was quoted in the Des Moines Register, which is, I'm very proud of. I'm gonna have this on my resume at the time. It says, Twitter is hard, says come and go spokesperson, Ariel Rubin. Podcasting from Boulder, Colorado. This is the Baby Got Backstory podcast, where we dive into the story behind the story of today's most inspiring storytellers, creators, and entrepreneurs. I like big backstories, and I cannot lie. I am your host, Mark Gutman. I'm Mark Gutman, and on today's episode of Baby Got Backstory, we are talking with Ariel Rubin, the Director of Communications at Come and Go. Wait, wait, you mean Come and Go, the convenience store and gas stations with that funny name? Yep, that's the one. Today's guest, Ariel Rubin, is a Webby Award-winning digital strategist with over 10 years experience in social media and content creation in Uganda, Sudan, Turkey, Switzerland, and the United States. And today, he heads up social media and communications at Come and Go. Now, don't go anywhere. I'm going to tell you why Ariel is going to be a must-listen episode right after I remind you to rate and review this show. If you're listening, I'm assuming you like it. And if that's the case, please take a minute or two to rate and review us over at iTunes or Spotify. iTunes and Spotify use these ratings as part of the algorithm that determines ratings on their charts. Better yet, please recommend this show to at least one friend you think will like it. If this is your first time listening, please consider subscribing. Subscribing is like being best friends, BFFs. We might even get BFF bracelets, but only if you subscribe. All right, back to Ariel. I asked Ariel to be a guest on today's show because I was drawn to his work. I noticed that Come and Go was showing up on social media, first Instagram and then Twitter. At least that's how I discovered them. And I was immediately engaged with their content. They were funny, progressive, human, fun, interesting. And they are a convenience store. And that began my stalking of Ariel. I had to know how all this worked. Who was the crazy person behind building out a strong voice on social media? What did their operation look like? Did they have 100 interns creating all this content? Spoiler alert, they do not. How did they approach social media? Is it working? And on and on and on. Ariel covers all that and more in our conversation. And this is his story. I am here with Ariel Rubin, the Director of Communications for Come and Go. Ariel, what is Come and Go? And what does a Director of Communications do at at Come and Go? Uh, well, first, thanks for having me, Mark. Uh, it's it's fun to be here. What is Come and Go? Come and Go is a convenience store chain based and headquartered in Des Moines, Iowa. 
We have about 400 stores, a little over 400 stores now in 11 states. And basically, we're a fourth-generation family-run business that started here and, and really has grown up to be a place that really prides itself, I think, on, on opening its doors to everyone, really being welcoming, being there for the community. We give 10% back of our pre-tax profits to communities we serve, to charities. That kind of sets us apart. And we're really kind of a company that's led by our values. Uh, you know, we really look to the communities we were serving and think about how we can kind of make days better for them. So it's a sweet place to work. Uh, I really like it. I've been there for about a year and a half. And the director of communications, as director of communications, my kind of remit is is our public and, and kind of internal communications work. You know, our, our PR, our social, our events that we put on. Obviously, we're, we're doing quite a few less events in person, at least uh, right now due to COVID, but that's sort of the world we work in. And then, yeah, everything in between. Yeah. And to those of you listening, so you, you might be asking yourself, like, why are we talking to a guy that, you know, does communications for uh, a gas station and convenience store? And, you know, a little bit of the backstory is, is that Come and Go has gotten my attention for their very progressive, very engaging social media campaigns, particularly on Twitter. Uh, they have a really nice presence on Instagram. And so I personally was was so intrigued. I was so captivated. You know, I've also been a, a fan of the actual, the store locations when, when we're on road trips, my kids all want to go because you can feel that there's something different. And I think that that's the really cool thing about a brand is you don't always know why you love it. You don't always know why you're drawn to it, but you feel that it's different. And you walk into a, a come and go store and they're friendly and they're light and they're bright and they offer, you know, different offerings in terms of uh, healthy food options and all sorts of things. And people just generally seem happy there. So that's the little bit of the context of why we're talking. But Ariel, like, I want to get into your story and I, I kind of want to, you know, get to how you're doing social media and why you've even decided to do it. I mean, I don't follow any other convenience stores and gas stations, but you know, when we met, I was super intrigued by your, your background because you're not from Des Moines. You certainly don't have a background in convenience stores or the oil industry or gas stations. You know, why don't we go, I mean, did, when you were growing up, did you think that you'd be running communications and social media for uh, an outfit like come and go? Um, that's a, no, I, I don't think I did. That was not, um, necessarily something I was planning to do, but you know, as my grandmother would have said, uh, man plans and God laughs. So, you know, here we are. No, it's been, I've had, I mean, I guess a bit of background on me. I'm, I'm not from Iowa, as you mentioned, I'm from a bit of all over. I was born in Canada. I grew up in North Carolina. I went to university in New York. I was in New York for a while. And then I kind of was all over the place. I was in journalism or trying to be for a long time. Many years ago, I worked in Uganda as a newspaper. Uh, I had a master's from the um, London School of Economics, actually in human rights and development in the UN, where I actually got involved in communications. And that was really where the, my passion for that came. I started the first Twitter account for UNDP, uh, the United Nations Development Program in Sudan, worked on blogs there. I ended up, I was in Sudan for three years and then went to Turkey for two years where I worked for the UN. DP there as well, running digital content. And then I worked for the International Committee of the Red Cross in Switzerland, where I was the head of digital content. And that's where I got to do some really cool stuff with a, with a pretty amazing humanitarian organization there. It's traveling all over the world, um, producing some cool kind of, you know, engagement campaigns, both with communities we worked with for the, there, um, you know, communities in Sudan or Iraq or wherever, but also communities back home. How do we get people engaged? How do we get Americans and Europeans engaged in some really, really tough subjects? So 
that was what I was doing for almost a decade. And I ended up through sort of a kind of a fortuitous circumstance, having a conversation with the president of come and go at a time when I was kind of ready to move back to the U S I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I wanted to get out of the nonprofit world. I'd been there for almost 10 years and I, I wanted to try something completely different. And Tanner Krause is the 32 year old president of come and go really cool uh, guy, a really personable guy. And, and I think a really strong visionary for kind of what a company like his can look like in the future. And he really, we had a great conversation about it and he kind of got me excited and the job was there and I applied and, and it ended up, you know, I came here from Switzerland with my wife and my one-year-old daughter at the time. And, we really liked it. You know, it was like a really fun turn for me. And, and I just thought, of, you know, I think when you're doing these kind of communications jobs in general, I, for me, at least, I always want to make sure that I can do it in another space. So I could, I figured out how to do this in a way it's easy, quote unquote, easy to, to get people interested, I think, or to do content about what's going on in a place like Syria or Yemen, you know, it's, it's a pretty tough subject and it's easy to kind of show that. But I guess the challenge for me with a place like come and go was like, how do you do that? for hot dogs. Like, and I don't mean to make light of it, but it's, it's really, it's like, how do you get people to care about something? Ultimately as a communications person, my job is to make you care about something that I'm doing. And the Red Cross of the UN, it was about some pretty tough things. And here at, at Come and Go, it's actually about some really inspiring things. And, and that was to me, what was exciting about it was, it wasn't just a convenience store. It was a place that, that cares about some really progressive causes. And actually, you know, wants to show up in the community in a really powerful way. And they hadn't really figured out how to tell that story, how to get their audience to really care about it or to know about it. And so that was the challenge that sort of presented to me. And what I found really exciting um, to do was like, how do I get people to, to care about this store with a, a kind of a funny name? You know, how do we turn it from, uh, it's a come and go to like, wow, this is a community store that's at the forefront of some really important issues right now. So that's sort of the, the connection for me. Yeah. And take me back to that conversation with Tanner. I mean, I can only imagine here you are, you're, you know, living in Switzerland, you're doing, you know, important work, you're doing heavy work, you're, you're accomplished, you're experienced. It's not like you're just out of school and kind of like looking to take anything. And this young CEO of a convenience store says, Hey, I want you to do my communication. Like, what's that look like? I mean, are you, are you at first skeptical? Are you like all in? Like, what, what's that? What's that look like? I think that I'm always been someone that's personally, I've always been interested in, first of all, I've always wanted to live anywhere. So for me, living in Des Moines is as bizarre as living in Khartoum, is as bizarre as living in, you know, London, whatever. I, I think every place can be really fascinating and can be really exciting and present different challenges and different opportunities. So when Tanner and I spoke about it, I think I, I didn't, wasn't fully, I personally wasn't super serious about it at first. But again, he, to his credit, really did a great job kind of convincing, not convincing me even, but just like kind of expressing what his ambitions were. And when I saw his ambitions were really quite, quite big and, and he has a really, he's got a really big vision for what he wants this thing to be. That was what got me excited. You know, it was kind of almost this like, I don't want to say startup mentality, but he, and when you speak to him, you'll kind of hear this in him. He's just got a real passion for this stuff. It really like convinced me that this was more than just like coming to a place and filling out some press releases. And that's not what I wanted to do. And I wanted to, for me, the condition, the condition that was like conditions. Uh, but I, for me, the thing that was exciting about it was that I would have the opportunity to kind of run some of the social parts the way that I thought could be effective. So having the freedom to do that and really let it figure out, you know, give it a voice was what was really appealing to me. And again, the social part wasn't even a big part of my job uh, description, but I was very keen. I, I really, I said, if I'm going to do this job and do it well, 
I want to focus a great deal of attention on social media because I believe that's where the energy is. And I believe that's also where our audience is. So they said, sure, go for it. Yeah. So I imagine you, and I'm sure I've got this all wrong, but I imagine you skipping through the streets of Switzerland, <laughs> maybe some chocolate in hand and, sure. you know, exactly. Yodeling, yodeling up the stairs and you come totally, home yeah. and, you, and, you, yeah. and you tell your wife, yeah. we're moving, we're moving to Des Moines. Cause I'm yeah. going to, or, you know, I don't know how that goes down. <laughs> if you tell her, you, 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 you have a conversation <laughs> around it perhaps, but uh, you know, and you're like, Hey, I really want to go to Des Moines and run communications for this convenience store. Like what was yeah. that conversation like? <laughs> it was, she, uh, my wife is originally from the Midwest and she grew up in Michigan. And so she was not necessarily, I'd say at first dying to move back to the Midwest. She has sort of, I think left for a, maybe for a reason, but um, her parents are in Milwaukee for, they're pretty close. And we have, again, we have a young child now our daughter's three, but at the time, it was really important for us, for our daughter to spend more time with her family and to be closer to family and friends here. So it worked out. I mean, it was not like, you know, it was, and I think that, you know, she and I have both grown to really, really like Des Moines and, and actually find it quite cool. And I think before, um, obviously before COVID, it was different, but now that it's COVID in a way, every, this is going to sound bad. But I was going to say like, every place is almost like a Des Moines. Like, I don't know. There's not that much to do anywhere anymore. So I don't know if it was like, yeah. Okay. We're not in Switzerland anymore, but actually Des Moines has a lot to offer. It's, it's actually really fun. The people are lovely. The food is surprisingly good. Um, I could go on and extol the virtues of Des Moines, but I don't know. If my wife listens to this national probably be annoyed with me, but I, I think that, yeah, I, it was, it was, you know, it was a, it was, it was a fine conversation. She was, she was, she's down with whatever. So to her credit, um, she rolled with it. Cool. So like, how would you describe the voice of come and go social media? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, like I said, I guess when I started in the role, I was really keen to kind of look at the different platforms we were already on and see which were working and how they were working and think about what kind of voice we wanted to have for which. So for me, I naturally gravitated towards, and as I do Twitter, because that to me is, it's the, it's the medium I understand the best. I think my demographic, my age, my sort of background, Twitter is sort of my era. And the first thing I did was I got the clearance to kind of hire a social media specialist who... And the person I hired is someone who absolutely kills it on Instagram. She was just like, I saw her on Instagram and the work she was doing and her, she had six times the followers that come and go had on Instagram at the time. And I was like, I want someone who really wins at this platform to like run this. And to me, Instagram is visual is the most important visual platform we have on social media right now. It is where people are seeing your brand. I mean, that really is for me, it's Twitter's more about language and words. And if you can be clever there and, and Instagram is really about sort of like, what is the, your most beautiful life, your most beautiful, whatever, your most aspirational living. And so she really got and continues and gets Instagram just like perfectly. And then she and I work really closely together on those platforms and really spent a lot of time talking about how we're going to engage an audience, what we're going to do. We're, we have a very, we're, she's, she's very different. She's 12 years younger than me. She's a totally different person than I, than I am, but we get along really well. And I, I, I really enjoy working with her because she's just got a great understanding of the sensibilities of the platform and the aesthetics of it and, and the voice for it. So our voice on Twitter is more my voice, maybe in a way it's, it's a bit um, cheekier. It's kind of funny. I, we don't punch down that sort of a thing we try to maintain, but we try to really, you know, be part of the zeitgeist and the part of the conversation that's happening there. I, I like I said, I, I believe culture really emanates from Twitter. I think, you know, I would say like not everyone's on Twitter at all, but every journalist is on Twitter. So 
even if my mom might not be on Twitter, she is now, but my mom was on Twitter. Every journalist that my mother reads or watches on CNN or whatever is on Twitter and is developing their kind of opinions based on what they're seeing on Twitter. It's a really important platform. I mean, uh, you know, Donald Trump understands that extremely well. So it's up to our own peril not to understand that and to maximize that platform, I think, really well. Instagram, like I said, I think is a great place for that culture to kind of get spread further and into a younger demographic. And then the third thing is, is TikTok. And we were, again, really fortunate to have you know, our lead, a leadership that lets us kind of run with this stuff. We hired a 19-year-old uh, fresh out of high school, basically, to go on, on TikTok because this person understood TikTok. We, they, had 200, they have 200,000 followers on TikTok. And I said, we don't have a TikTok. Make it for us. Like, go. This person, their name is Evelyn Meyer, and they're brilliant. So between Evelyn, Nadia, and myself, we're kind of like the social media, I guess, brain trust of coming out. And we each have a bit of a different voice. And I would say the other thing is that we, we work really, we're all really embedded, especially Nadia and I, really embedded with our, our associates and our colleagues and our team and our leadership. So we kind of get a sense, I think, through a lot of trial and error of what that voice should be. And, and you know, when you hit a kind of a red line or a third rail, you kind of know it. Like there's some tweets that have definitely failed and there's some Instagram posts that we've had to, you know, rethink because ultimately like you've got to be a little bit, you've got to push the boundaries a little bit. You've got to figure out where your audience is and where they want to go. And there's a lot of trial and error, you know, and that's sort of how we, we built it up. But the numbers, I think, you know, ultimately we're judged by the numbers. It's not by what I think is funny or what, by, by what Nadia thinks is attractive. It's really by what our audience finds appealing. So if our audience loves a photo and thinks it's beautiful, we know it because the internet is the world's largest free focus group, right? It tells us very, very quickly what works and what doesn't. And so we slowly over time really A-B tested, I think, a lot of different ideas and a lot of different pieces of content. And Nadia and I message each other every day a million times with ideas. And we kind of workshop stuff on WhatsApp, WhatsApp, sorry, as we go. And, and that's sort of how we developed it. And again, none of this would be possible, again, without, I can't stress this enough, without a leadership that totally trusted us, trusted me and trusted Nadia and trusted Evelyn to do it. Because if there are layers, I think, to so, social has to be immediate and has to be reactive. And if there are layers of validations and approvals and back and forths, you really lose, lose kind of the, the, the special thing about what social is, which is that's just happening so quickly. You just want to be part of it. And what happened yesterday is already, is it might as well be five years ago, right? So by having the trust of our leadership, by our bosses and all the way up to the CEO, we're, we're in a really fortunate space to be able to really try some fun stuff. And, and you know, we fail tons. We also have some really, really fun successes. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the, where I can't, you know, started with that question was just that, like, you and your team have done something that's so, to me, you know, challenging and unique, which is really giving a, a unique voice to something that is hard to give a voice to, you know, it's, I think it's like a hard, hard product to brand sometimes. And, and you've done a really good job. And Maybe walk me through that process a little bit. I mean, did you say like, hey, like come and go is like the cool new, like, you know, whatever. And like you have a, a persona or a profile or is it more organic than that? You know, I, when I, again, I'm not from the Midwest, but when I came here, I remember I said this in my interview, I lived in New York for a really long time. And uh, in New York, when I was in college, I went to NYU uh, 15 years ago or whatever. I don't remember. Uh, yeah, it was 15. Oh my God. Anyway, 15 years ago, I was at NYU and we lived in, Bro I lived in Brooklyn and we drank uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon all the time. And we drank Pabst Blue Ribbon, not because it was a great beer and not because it was, it was just the cool thing to drink. And it was $2 and you drank Pabst Blue Ribbon because we're like a, a posturing hipster. Uh, so 
I remember the, how iconic Pabst Blue Ribbon was. And it was like, a, for me, I had this feeling of like what real America is, right? And I think that so many things that feel like what real America is really come from this space in the Midwest, you know, uh, whether it's Harley Davidson, Budweiser, John Deere, Pabst Blue Ribbon, whatever, you know, Anheuser-Busch, I'm talking a lot about beer, but equally to me, Come and Go felt like it had that similar iconic or it should have that similar iconic feeling of like a truly American thing, this this fourth generation family that from Iowa, from, you know, always from Iowa, came through and built this thing, you know, and that's like a really special, and what's special about it is that it's still there. It's still their thing. It's not like owned by some conglomerate. It's just this family doing this thing. And I, I think that's like a really special thing. And I think, you know, I'm just cheesy, but like in a world where like what is American is kind of very politicized and very kind of like, you know, divisive in a way. What's nice about the story that of this and, and the, the product is like, it's just like a really nice thing. It's, it's, it's about like, America that really welcomes everyone that opens its doors that supports black and brown communities. It supports gay communities. And to me, and is this, you know, has just been around, has been there for its people for 60 years and continues to do that. So I think that that was a really compelling story for me. And, and so to be able to tell that story on social, we first needed to have an audience to tell it to. So I think a lot of brands maybe make a mistake, but like a lot of brands just assume that people care about their thing as much as they care about their thing. And the thing is, you got to earn your audience's care. You got to earn their trust and you've got to, you got to find them. You got to get them to care first. So we spent a long time getting people to care first and then finding clever ways. You know, the strategy behind this whole thing is that I want to be funny on Twitter because when I have something serious to say, I want to have someone to say it to. So if I can do a bunch of tweets that get me thousands of likes or retweets, that's great because the one time out of 10 that I'm going to tell you about why we're supporting this young LGBT Q group here that does incredible work with the community. Uh, and here's why you should support them. I want to be able to tell that to now I can tell that to 50,000 people. Whereas a year ago, I only went to told that to 20,000 people. And, and a year before that, I only told that to 5,000. people. So it slowly grows and builds that community. And then people really start to recognize us for it. So I don't know if that I kind of went on a tangent there, but it's great. You know, and it really seems to me that the leadership at come and go assuming Tanner really see this more as a platform, not, not, not even social, but the business as a platform and a enable a tool of change rather than, you know, like, Hey, we, you know, yes, we're in the business of convenience stores, but really it's a, that's a tool to do some other things. And like, to me, that in general is a rare concept, but for a convenience store, a gas station in the Midwest, I mean, you know, I think it's incredibly rare to be putting, you know, not only to be backing a lot of these progressive causes, but to be like shouting about it, to be like a forthright, to be like front and center and saying, Hey, this is what we believe. Yep. And, and no matter when you say that it's scary, but in a, you know, you could be worried about polarizing a good subset of your audience or your customer base. Uh, like where does like this just, drive to be progressive come from? And then like, do you ever get any backlash or do you ever like, are you ever concerned? Like concerns the wrong word, but yeah. Do you ever get any backlash and, and, and pushback on it? Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't even know if they would, it'd be interesting to know if they'd hear, if they would describe it as progressive, I think they would just describe, you know, there's a very pragmatic thing in the Midwest, which I'm not familiar with, but I'm learning about, which is that people just, I think that they, they really, it's, they just see it as human rights. They, they look at these issues. They're looking at human rights and science uh, on these issues. When, and, it, and that's whether we're talking about mask use or whether we're talking about Black Lives Matter. We're looking at 
what is the human issue and what is how is this issue impact our, our community and what does the science say? So I don't know if even Tanner or Kyle, Kyle's the CEO, Tanner's the president. I don't know if either of them would necessarily describe themselves or this company as progressive. I think they would describe it as compassionate, welcoming, inclusive, and open. And whatever that means in today's 2020 COVID society, I think inevitably it becomes politicized. But ultimately, I really, I think they really would, in a way, push back against it. But that being said, I think that we certainly we we get we certainly received. We've received comments, sure, but I, you know, not as many as you would maybe think. I mean, really, it's been overwhelmingly, I think, positive the feedback we have. And, you know, I think one thing, again, I really respect about Tanner in particular on this and Kyle as well is that they're not afraid. Like you said, it's a platform. They do see this as a platform. They're not afraid. I mean, Tanner says all the time, you know, it's our job. It's on me and not me as in him. He's it's incumbent upon him to use that platform and that privilege that he was born into and that he lives with every day for some good and, and to really stand up as an ally. We just accepted an award last night from a LGBTQ organization that Tanner spoke at a, as an ally, a sort of partner in progress. And, and Tanner literally just said that, uh, said just that. And I think, again, it's why I joined. I wouldn't have joined if that didn't exist here. I wouldn't have joined if they didn't. I'm thrilled that they let me use social as a way to amplify those messages and find creative ways to tell those stories. And we've given some extraordinarily, I think, um, I would say progressive, um, um, organizations and that are doing great work for Black Lives Matter and, and for our gay and lesbian and trans communities. So to me, it's a really exciting time to be part of a company like Come and Go. Again, I think thanks to the leadership who have the vision to do that, you know, that's that's on them. So it's nice. Yeah. And I think it, I think it is something, though, that's unique. You know, I live in Boulder, Colorado, which is, you know, I would say is a progressive area, but certainly we don't have like a whole lot of convenience stores or gas stations that, you know, outside of come and go that are like come and go. I also spend a good, you know, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from, uh, you know, grew up in outside of Detroit, spend a lot of time in Northern Michigan and there's, you know, you know, it's indicative of America, you know, it's split. And I would say Mm -hmm. that there is uh, a lot of, you know, welcoming areas and there's a lot that are less so. And, you know, I, I, again, I just, you know, I find it very unique and I, and I don't want, you know, this to get lost, like how special this is, um, that a gas station in the Midwest is, is, is really, you know, talking about these issues and at the forefront of these issues, but are we going to say something? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. I mean, we had a, with this group that from last got this award from, I remember they, they said they did a, a, a talk to our company uh, and they, they said this, that, you know, is it here when, when companies like come and go say that, you know, publicly stand up as allies in a place like Iowa, the impact that has is extraordinary. they said, I remember they, they gave us, they were telling us how like, you know, you know I, again, I'm from New York, I'm from the East coast. So for me, it was not as, it felt like, Oh yeah, this is just what people do. But actually here, it's not necessarily what every company, does. And it's not what every convenience store necessarily does. It's not just assumed. And so you have, I'm not trying to, you know, uh, tap our own, or pat my own, pat our own shoulders here too much, pat our own backs too much. But I think that, you know, they were like, you know, for a small town kid who's growing up in a farm community in Iowa, who's gay, uh, to hear that come and go welcomes them and, and stands up for them is, is extremely powerful. But like you can't underestimate how it, how powerful that is in a place like Iowa and in the communities you serve in, in Missouri and in Arkansas and all over. I mean, frankly, so that really stuck with me. And I think it's, you know, it's cool that we can do stuff like that because there's a lot of people here who don't feel like their voices are as heard. And I think if we can help, help amplify voices and help show, show up for those communities, I think we're doing good work. This episode brought to you by 
Wild story. Wait, isn't that your company? It is. And without the generous support of Wild Story, this show would not be possible. A brand isn't a logo or a tagline or even your product. A brand is a person's gut feeling about a product, service, or company. It's what people say about you when you're not in the room. Wild Story helps progressive founders and savvy marketers build purpose-driven brands that connect their business goals with the customers they want to serve so that both the business and the customer needs are met. This results in crazy, happy, loyal customers that purchase again and again, and this is great for business. If that sounds like something you and your team might want to learn more about, reach out at www.wildstory.com and we'd be happy to tell you more. Now back to our show. So kind of getting back to like when you decided to come aboard, I mean, with management, was there this vision to have social be a core part of the communication strategy? And and if so, just kind of like, what were they thinking? Because again, I, I, it all kind of makes sense now. It seems really like uh, like it fits now. Like, But like, I go back to that, probably that moment where it had to be risky. Like, you know, no business I've ever worked with has too much money. No business I've ever worked with has too many resources, right? Like every decision is always like, where can we, you know, make best use of our limited resources? And so just to have that like thought, like we're going to invest in this area, like, can you kind of walk me through that a little bit and and what that looked like? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the funny thing, I guess, is that it's, it's not a big investment. It's organic content by and large. The investment was in it was in me uh, and uh, my and in our social media specialist, and then in our TikTok kind of intern. Uh, the three of us is it, and actually we're actually probably a lot cheaper than the agency that we were paying to do it before. So we're not, you know, I'm, it's it's not. I, I do everything. We do it all in house. We do it all on free Canva software, and it's you know we don't really put money into to promote content. Like the content that does well does well because the audience finds it, and and. We've we've done a few campaigns with a few different smaller kind of agencies. One in particular that was really cool and fun for us. But these are small campaigns. These are not like big, multi you know hundreds of thousands of dollar things. It's not at all like that. I mean, we're really to me what's social. I always want social to be a space where we can experiment. And to your point, like no company's ever like we make too much money. Like I want to have that freedom to do that. Not because I'm a narcissist, although it probably doesn't hurt that I am. But it's because I think that we can do really cool stuff there. We can really find a new audience there. And, and again, only in this company where we're family run. So we don't have, you know, we don't report to, there's not a bunch of different stakeholders that, that we have to report to, you know, the, the our stuff, we don't have a, st- we're not publicly traded. So there's not some stock price that I have to maintain or something, you know, that a tweet could sink or something like I'm fortunate again, like a very patient, tolerant uh, and open-minded leadership team. I remember there was one time there was a, a tweet that we, I had done, I forget, it was ages ago. And Kyle Krauss, the CEO, who's on Twitter, who's doing a great job on Twitter, I should add, he had this reply where someone was like, I can't believe they like let him do this. And Kyle replied like, listen, I don't understand what he does sometimes, but I'll always support it. And I think as a leader, what an incredible gift, right? Like, or as rather as for me, what an incredible gift to have a leader like that, who he just trusts that I'll do an okay job or that might, that I'm trying to get him to get his company to a good place. He doesn't need to understand like, what the meme is or the joke or the particular cultural thing I'm trying to 
get at and that maybe I miss on. He's simply saying like, here, you have this space to play in, go for it. So I'm really applaud them for letting me, again, letting me take the risk with it, but I don't put that much. It's not very expensive because it's really just like, you know, Nadia shoots all the photos. She's brilliant. Like I do all, you know, like we're just kind of like a, we're, I, I see us as sort of an in-house creative team, really, to be honest with you. And I think that that's what makes it kind of, again, that's what makes it fun. Yeah. And so how do you measure success? I mean, I know you probably measure by some, some typical social metrics, uh, number of followers, engagement, but are you able to track back like increase in revenue and things like that back to your efforts? Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously, yeah, there's the, there's the standards, there's the standard, you know, ROI in terms of our engagement. We look at our engagement, we look at our follower growth, we look at Again, we look at what's working, what isn't, and we ideate or iterate based on that. And then we, beyond sort of social success, when we look in store, we look at certain campaigns that we have been really kind of getting behind. And I mean, I can tell you, for example, we we just launched all day breakfast pizza. So we did breakfast pizza till 10. Now we do breakfast pizza all day. I don't remember when it stops the office, but when the kitchen closes, basically. And we did a fun play on that on social and and we've seen like a major bump in how breakfast pizza sold now has breakfast. It's always hard, I think, to do causation and correlation with social. We also, I mean, there is another side of coming to us that, that does marketing, that does, that does do marketing, the more traditional marketing. It's not like we don't do it at all. I'm a comms person and I run this organic social side. There's an entire other marketing side. My boss, the vice president of marketing and communication leads that body of work. So that also exists as an aside. But I think for us, when I look at what success is there, I see stuff like breakfast pizza selling and I see us pushing it. I like to think that there's a nice correlation there. I think another thing we do, you know, we try to find ways to bring our online energy offline. So we do stuff with fanny packs. We made these fanny packs that have been super popular. Uh, we do giveaways. We just did another giveaway on Twitter yesterday, 500. I did, you know, a funny thing, like last person to retweet this gets a fanny pack and it's gotten retweeted like 500 times. Again, like we bring those fanny packs to store openings. We had one yesterday in Omaha kids show up at 6am to get these. They're gone by 630. So we try to make cool stuff to retain a cool audience, to find the cool kids who are out there who want to come get it. And I'd say the biggest example of, I think, a success online that we've been able to see is we had a really fun collaboration with Anheuser-Busch where we made a Budweiser, a unique, they let us make this incredible Budweiser shirt, come and go drink a Budweiser shirt with all the proceeds going to a charity for, for to benefit veterans. And, and that did it, we sold them out. Like it did super, super well. And that was like a really fun social play. We sold them out entirely. We sold them online. Now that actually we had some in stores, did another run because it did so well. But stuff like that is just like a really, it's a really fun way to start bringing that stuff offline and showing that success of that energy and where those audience, that that audience exists online. And then we can kind of start bringing them into the store. And we're going to continue to do things like that, both in store activations and, and other online um, merch plays, basically. Yeah. And so you've, you've talked a lot about the successes uh, that you've had and certainly can feel your enthusiasm and energy for, for uh, what you do. But like, what's hard about it? You know, what's hard about this endeavor that you, that you're undertaking with, uh, communications that come and go. Um, I mean, I don't know what's hard about it. I guess, you know, there've definitely been, there've been successes and there've been total failures and busts. And I, I don't even mean it like the I failed forward or anything. Like I just failed. Like it just, I just did stuff that sucked. And, what and was your worst one? What was your biggest, <laughs> what, what's the our, biggest failure? Yeah, no, our biggest one. And we have a really great failure, which was the, um, we did Nadia and I did a, a post, a tweet. Basically, I, we were both new here and I'm not from the, I don't really know anything about sports in general. And I certainly don't know anything about college sports, but we did a, a tweet about the uh, Cyclones and the uh, Hawkeyes, which are the two 
teams here, college football. And, and it was one of the teams lost. And so the team, I don't remember, pushed, we had it like, it was like an image of a team getting pushed down the stairs and it like spread on Reddit and spread all over. And people were absolutely livid. I mean, they were taking photos of themselves, cutting up their come and go and rewards card and tweeting it and calling for boycotts. And it was like this huge furor and, and, we had like emergency meeting and people who had never, I mean, my, who had like, I had like, it reached like the far reaches of the internet in Iowa. And it was like a real, and anyway, I, the news covered it. I, I was quoted in the Des Moines register, which is, I'm very proud of. I'm gonna have this on my resume at the time. It says Twitter is hard says come and go spokesperson, Ariel Rubin. And I was very proud of that quote because you know, at the end of the day, Twitter is hard. And, and frankly, I learned a lesson, which is, uh, in the Midwest, maybe, you know, don't talk about politics or, or sports or, or religion. So, you know, stay out of those three. So I, uh, we don't talk about college football anymore. And frankly, I didn't even really understand it, but I learned from that, you know, we got a lot of engagement out of it. We got a lot of followers, but you know, obviously you don't want to do that at the expense of your base and your people. And I didn't want, you know, I remember our, our legal, our general counsel, it was like, my dad called me is like, my dad's 90. And he's like, what are you doing on Twitter? He's like, my dad doesn't even know what Twitter is. What happened? So again, credit to everyone I worked with and everyone above me who allowed us to continue going and didn't change, you know, we didn't have to change really anything. We just kind of, you know, we learned, we learned a really big lesson there on that. So I think, I think failures like that are super important though, because you really do, you learn as you develop this, but this is like a year and a half ago, we, we were developing our voice and, and we were figuring out where those, where those third rails were. And, and we, we certainly learned where, I mean, I got emails, I got death threats. Like it was, I've never, I've worked in on the most hot button issues in the world, Israel, Palestine, whatever, nothing compares to the animosity and, and uh, just deep, deep rage. I, I got on the, uh, because of this, uh, this one tweet. So I felt bad and uh, we apologized and we moved on. Yeah. As I mentioned, I'm a Midwest guy and uh, you don't mess with uh, cross state rivals and college football. That's just a, a, a no, no. But like, as you were telling me that story again, like I'm just sitting here being like, Oh no, like I can only imagine like early in your, your yeah. career here and like yeah. you're already stepping in it. I mean, were you yeah. freaking out or did right away was management like, look, we got you, but we got to work this out. I mean, how does that, like, how yeah. does that go down? Like you're, you're creating quite a ruckus uh, early in your career. I know. Yeah. Again, man, I don't know. I got lucky to have the management I got. Like they, you know, I wrote them an email and I was like, I got some bad news. They're very cool. They're very, they're very relaxed about it. Like they, you know, they had faith in the process. You know, I think something that I learned maybe from that, but also I think something in general, and, and this year has been a good example of that. This year has just been so crazy. I think news is that these cycles, if you, I think it's always a good lesson as a comms person to remember that like, the outrage cycle will pass. And not only will it pass, no one will have any idea what it even was in three days. And if you can weather that storm, because everyone's, everyone, I believe everyone's attention span has just become so withered by the kind of onslaught of news and, and kind of media. And then frankly, like terrifying kind of things that are happening on a daily basis that their brains have really kind of like goldfished out and are really incapable of like handling too much, it's just constant stimulus. So I think that one of the, again, a lesson from there was, was like, if you can, it's not to say that you, you have to, I think if you can weather a storm that you can recognize that this too will pass. And it's important to always have perspective in the midst of a kind of a social media crisis or any media crisis, which is like really people, the eye of Sauron really moves on rather quickly these days. And it's, it's important to remember that even at the time when you feel like, oh my God, this is a cataclysm, you know, our sales didn't change 
for the negative. We, we followed, I followed it through, I followed up on it with like our analytics team. We looked at it and sales and stuff. And the impact ultimately was, was frankly non-existent. So again, fortunate to have, to have leadership and colleagues that, that were at the time really very cool with it. And yes, I was, I was, I was very nervous. <laughs> yeah. And was that the strategy to ride the storm or did you have to kind of do a mea culpa and apologize or what, what did that look like? We did a mea culpa. Um, we did a mea culpa and I, it was actually my boss. It was her, I want to say it was like her first week and she had just been hired. So she really, I felt really more bad for her because I'd maybe been there for four or five months and she was really new. and was like, Oh my God, you know, we threw this at her like the first week. So we did do a, a mea culpa. I, and I think it was probably the, you know, it was, it was a good thing to do. It kind of diffused it a bit and people, you know, less upset. and people were really upset. I felt really badly uh, just hurt by that. Now it was, it's, like I said, it's never our intention. It's never actually anyone's intention to, to find a funny, a new audience with a funny joke at the expense of another audience, you know? So, you know, you live and learn. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so shifting a little bit, when we first spoke, you, you said something to me that that resonated, and it was, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, or maybe not, but it was something to the effect of social is where the conversation is. Mm-hmm. You know, can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, like, what do you mean by that? I think that every day I wake up and I work for Come and Go, and, and all I'm trying to do is get, my job is to compete with every single thing that you can do on your phone. My job is to compete with the text message from your, your wife or the photos of your kid or the Amazon prime membership or Netflix or every other brand in the world. I'm not just competing with quick trip or, or Casey's or whatever. I'm competing as a brand for your attention. And I'm competing with the red cross. I'm, I'm competing for literally anything and everything. And I, I think that, you know, we, I just want to get, I want to get five seconds of your time today to think about, huh, coming up, that's funny. Or they did a funny tweet or wow, they have a great Instagram or I got to go there and pick up a, a hot dog. Cause that looks awesome. Whatever. Like I'm trying to get that little slice of time. And so I think that when I say that that's where the conversation is, I think literally I think we look at audience behavior. I think even now, I mean, now accelerated by the pandemic, but we look at social use and, and, and phone use and it's, it's through the roof and it's only growing. And so as we, but continue on with a very connected, digitally native, younger audiences um, and younger consumer bases. We're only going to continue to be focused there. So it's why I see something, for example, like TikTok. You know, I have no real conception of and no real understanding of, but I know is where conversation is happening, where culture is kind of being created. I know I want us to be a part of that. And I want us to be a part of that in a way that's authentic, both to the platform and to our brand. So I don't want it to be me on TikTok talking because it's inauthentic for me because I literally don't get it. And I would look like a fee 35 year old. So I want to find ways to, to kind of be part of those conversations. And I, you know, I, I think, you know, social is the water cooler of our time. I, there's, I don't know where everyone else is, but they're all there constantly. And, and I think probably much to our society's detriment, but is what it is. Is that why you do what you do? I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm a product of, of, a broken brain social media generation. Yeah. I mean, I was probably, you know, and I, I find it really exciting because I think as a, when I was younger, I wanted to be a journalist because I thought that was a really compelling way to kind of tell stories and, and share news with people. And I think as I got into journalism and I mean, I, I had a terrible career as a journalist because I wasn't very good, but I think that as I got into it, I realized that early on that, you know, what was really for me really exciting was the kind of constant flow of information that was happening in places like Twitter and at the time, Facebook, when I was younger. And I think that was, I've always found that really addictive. I mean, again, for better or for worse, it, it, 
certainly has ruined my ability to like read a book from start to finish, but I really, I appreciate, and I think I'm okay, a fairly decent at cracking the code of understanding how to get other people interested in what I think is cool. And that's what I try to do at Come and Go. Yeah. And so like, what's the biggest challenge for you and your team right now as it pertains to, to social and, and kind of how, how you see the world? I mean, I think, you know, I think there's always a challenge in trying to be relevant and trying to maintain relevance is always, because again, I think, I think frankly, like strategies and this and that is like, I don't know how much, I don't put much stock into them because the platforms are changing so quickly. The algorithms are changing so quickly. The audience behavior is changing every day. I don't, I haven't planned a single tweet in my life. I have, I don't have a, I don't have a tweet ready. I don't know what I'm going to tweet today. I don't know what I'll tweet tomorrow. I don't know what Nadia is going to put on Instagram. We, we do it by that on, and that is a on purpose because I believe to be truly effective, you want to know, you want to wake up, go on Twitter for five minutes, see what people are talking about, and then start developing what that conversation is going to be and how you're going to be a part of it. So I, I think that the challenges are always in that process. Um, it's tough like to kind of do that and to maintain, I think, an energy to kind of keep up with it is kind of exhausting. So I think there's always like kind of that challenge. And then I think more broadly, you know, it's something you touched on earlier, but it's like we always want to think about how we can. I think show success and show that we're able to not only just get lulls on Twitter or likes on, on an Instagram post, but actually how we can convert and drive that traffic into stores. That's always the challenge. Um, and I always find that challenge. I find it for, you know, I've been doing this job for a year and a half. I still find that challenge to be really rewarding and fun. Yeah. And so, you know, do you have any advice that you could give anyone who is either starting their career in social and or looking to add this to their brand who might just be starting a little bit flat footed or don't, don't know where to go from here? Yeah. I mean, I think a few things, I think, I think consistency is really key with this stuff. I, I don't think, you know, I think it's, I mean, you're building an audience and, and I'm building an audience. We're all trying to build audiences and it's really hard to build an audience. It's like the hardest thing to do because I'm one store out of a billion stores and one, and you know, one voice out of a billion. So I think really, I think consistently kind of like going at it every day and pushing and, and not getting too deterred when you don't find easy, easy or quick success. Cause I think it takes a long time. I think the other thing I would, I would say is I see this actually a lot. Like I think if you're starting your career and you're young in your career and you're young, you have such an advantage and to my, in terms in this kind of world, because you grew up in it, you grew up immersed in it. You grew up, you know, I grew up with a dial up modem and AOL and it's just a different world. Things are changing so quickly. And I think you grew up with Twitter, Twitter's around for what, 15, 20 years now, like, you know, that's part of, and you're 20 years old, like it's just, it's always been there for you. So, you know, the language that you have that you speak in is, is, is you, you're already at such a competitive advantage to someone like me because you just get it better and you understand it more and you're quicker. So I think, frankly, use your youth, I think, as an advantage is what I'd say to young people starting out. And I would, to people who I think are older, who are maybe more gatekeepers or in leadership positions, I always say this, though, it's just like, you have to find people, trust them, and then let them do whatever they want. And that's it to me. It's, it's find the people that are good at this stuff. And then don't try to ruin it by like, like, yeah, but where's my brand go? Or like, what about putting this in the photo? Like, let the people that are really, really clever at, at figuring out a platform or, you know, under, at understanding an audience, let them do that work for you and, and really trust them to do it. Because that I think is where certainly we've seen, and I've seen with Nadia and Evelyn, our, my two kind of colleagues, really extraordinary success and some really, really fun stuff happen. Mm-hmm. And so outside of your, your, your mobile phone, what's your favorite uh, social media tool? Outside, like, what do you mean outside of my phone? Like what's my favorite tool to, well, I just mean like use your phone to tweet and take oh, photos and things sure. like that. But yeah. like, and so that, to me, that would be my, like, I was just trying to like 
you know, get you to not say my phone. Uh, but, you know, like, uh, yeah. What's your favorite tool? Like, but like, you mean like platform that I'm on or like, you mean like, no, 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 no. Like actual tool for, for doing your job and, and, and oh, helping to literally uh, just my phone. I don't have anything else. I don't have a single other thing. I mean, I have this laptop that I'm talking to you on and I, I hate it. So I, it is truly, truly just my phone. I don't use a camera. I don't use, I used to use, I used to shoot and, and edit, I mean, I edit and shoot stuff. I, you know, another thing I would say earlier, was like, learn how to do everything at least a little bit well, or at least basic, you know, like learn how to shoot, learn how to edit photo and video, learn final cutter, or I'm, you know, or Adobe premiere. I think having basic knowledge of that stuff, learn how to podcast. I, I want to, I'd love to learn how to do podcast. I have no idea how to do that. Like I think learning all that stuff is really important. So I, I can do a little bit of all of that, but the, yeah, I, I just use my phone for everything. Incredible. No, it's good. Like it's <laughs> like, you know, I'm a, I'm a tool collector, you know? So like, I'm really? always, like some, something What's new comes out. Um, well, actually my favorite tool is probably uh, Facebook creator studio. Cause I like that I can, you know, do it with Insta and load up, you know, schedule posts and things yeah. like that. Um, yeah. Which before it was always like you couldn't yeah. do, or you had to have some yeah, yeah. weird, weird thing. So yeah, that's, that's what I like the most, but you know, right so there's, there's people out there like, you know, Hootsuite and Buffer and all this stuff, but yeah, that, that's, that's not me. I'm a little more like one-to-one. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as, as we, thank you, Ariel, as we come to a, a close and, and towards the end of our time here, like, what does the future look like for, for you and come and go and, and, and the social team? Like, where, where do you think this is all going? I have no idea, but I'm, you know, I think again, like this has been a year unlike any that I've ever, I've ever experienced that, you know, earlier I, we asked me about sort of how I got from Switzerland to here. And I, I think I was working on Ebola at the Red Cross and things like that. And I was like, I'm done with all that. Like, I want something that's going to be light and I want to live in Iowa and I want to relax. And, and I ended up coming here and having like the most politically and, and sort of, you know, intense, it's been an intense year and, um, you know, dealing with, you know, COVID-19 has been super intense. So I, I hope, I hope the future for come and go in the future for our next country and the planet is one of which sort of, we get a, gra- a grip on this pandemic and can kind of go back to, um, I don't think we're going back to normal ever, but I think go back to, I don't know, pretty, you know, it's content that's a bit more fun and a bit lighter because it's, it's just been a really, I think it's been a tough year for a lot of people. And I hope that for coming on in general, that I, I, you know, again, I think that I think we have a really exciting plan for what this company, how this company wants to be in develop. It's been around for 61 years. It's going to be around for a lot longer. And I think there's a lot of interesting ideas for how you make and how you reimagine and re-envision what convenience looks like in the 21st century, and especially post COVID, I would say. So I think it'd be interesting to see what this company does and where it goes. And I'm, I'm excited to be part of it and, and hopefully continue driving really interesting conversation and building a, a, a ever bigger, ever growing audience. Yeah. And, and I kind of alluded that that was my last question, but you made me think of one more, you know, I think that there's something really interesting that has happened that there's this shift where people are looking to brands for their news. They're looking to brands for their information. They're looking to brands to like, how do you feel about COVID? How do you feel about politics? How do you feel about what's happening in the world? I think that's like a real profound shift that, that is not happening has happened, you know, you know, and you know, so how do you, how do you approach that? How do you handle that when so many of your community, so many of your, of your audience, your customers are looking to you for commentary on like big topics like that? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think it's, it's scary. 
that that's where we are as a society. I don't think it bodes well for us, but leaving that aside, I think that brands have a responsibility to be good corporate citizens and be good people and, and, and kind of be a good, yeah, good, good corporate citizens. And I think that this is a, a new burden maybe for brands. And, and I think, you know, I think the brands that succeed and the brands that we're going to talk about in five, 10, 20, 50 years, be the brands that took this kind of moment seriously and took that responsibility seriously. And, and frankly, the ones that I think were, that were on the right side of history. So again, I, I'd say that I wouldn't work for a company that I didn't think was on the right side of history when it comes to these really important issues. And I'm, I'm proud to work for a company that is, has been pretty explicit with where they stand on this stuff. So I think, yeah, I think it's a brave new world. And that is Ariel Rubin, Communications Director and Social Media Mastermind at Come and Go. I hope you felt like you got a social media masterclass, because I certainly did. And did you hear what he said? It really doesn't take much to do social right, to build an audience, to create a platform. But it does take time. It does take mistakes. And it takes a whole lot of trust between internal collaborators and, of course, your audience. Business is the platform for social good, for creating corporate citizenship, as Ariel put it. So what are you waiting for? Build a social media team. Have some fun. Change the world. A big thank you to Ariel Rubin and the team at Come and Go. Continue to be that voice for your community that might not be able to shout loud enough for themselves. We will link to all things Ariel Rubin and Come and Go in the show notes. Please make sure to go follow them. Check out their socials. You might just learn something. Well, that's the show. Until next time. Make sure to visit our website, www.wildstory.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss an episode. I like big stories and I cannot lie. You other storytellers can't deny. 